probably six months after she died, I could not really remember the prior six months at all. Wow. Like I just, there were like people I could not recognize in photos. I would like go through my own Facebook photos and be like, I do not know what is happening in that photo. So welcome back to I'm the Villain. Today we are talking with Kimaya Diggs, who went to school with me, although I mainly know of Kimaya because um, one of the previous podcast guests, Aaron, was mentioning to me that Kimaya has some really like moving content about um, your mother dying and like your grief process. And so I'm really excited to talk about that. Um, but before we kind of jump into it, if you could just give a brief introduction, whatever you think the audience should know about you um, to you know give some context to this conversation, that would be great. Wow. Yeah. Um, let me think. I think that, yeah. So I, I, I call myself a musician and a writer kind of in that order. Um, and I do a lot of my writing about grief and a lot of it, um, as far as like grief connects to cycles of like the year and of nature. Um, and so this year my, my mom died in 2021 and I've spent a lot of the last two years writing music, poetry, prose all about her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's sort of the, the spark notes on me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like were you interested? So I, I, a little background on me. I had much, much experience with death. Um, my, my grandparents who raised me both died when I was a kid, but I think that as a, a ramification of that and as a, a ramification of like them being super sick with cancer and me seeing them deteriorate and them, you know, saying to me many times, like, you know, when like when we die it's going to be a good thing because we've moved on you know we'll have moved on there's like a lot of that rhetoric they were religious i'm not really religious now but i feel like my relationship with grief is not as like developed as maybe it, it one would assume so do you feel like you had a relationship with like with grief or were you like was it grief something you thought about before your mom died or was like your mom dying kind of like what what triggered your, your I don't want to say yeah. interest, but you're. I mean, I would, I would definitely put it as an interest. Um, yeah. So, so my mom had cancer for twelve years, um, but prior to that, I was definitely like very intrigued by death as a kid, even. Um, and when I graduated from college, I started volunteering with the local hospice, doing music therapy. Mm. So before I had my own mom die, I like was participating in the dying process of many, many other people, typically much older people than my mom was. Um, Mm. But getting to be sort of a facilitator in a way and a container for some of that for the families was a very, that was an experience that I just wanted to seek out. I think I was just interested in sort of like seeing grief, grief from a closer vantage point, but also because I have always felt very comfortable with death and I thought you know if I'm comfortable with something that a lot of people are uncomfortable with I might as well try to you know use that to support people during a difficult moment so you know I'd I'd had a handful of losses of my own prior to my mom dying classmates and 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 such but um, I would say most of my grief experience and interest comes from doing hospice work Mm, well so I guess what made you interested in doing that work? Like what made you interested in doing hospice? Yeah, I, so one of the things that made me interested in doing hospice is that I, I'm a musician, so I'm performing my own music very frequently. But at this point in time, I hadn't really written that many songs. I didn't have my own album. I didn't have a lot of my own music. Um, and I was like, how can I still make an impact? making music, playing other people's songs. Um, And one of those ways that I, you know, I saw one of those videos that everyone sees that's like an old man who hasn't lifted his head in one year, like here's a song and wow. And I was like, okay, I think this is a way that I could make an impact. And I also just grew up loving like old classic jazz. So I knew like maybe a little bit more old music than Mm -hmm. average. And 
it really, the first hospice experience that I had was exactly like that. I had a patient that hadn't spoken in three years and he started singing along to, I think it was like blue skies or something like that. And then he would, he started speaking Mm. again after that for probably about six, seven months before he ended up dying. Wow. So I was just so interested in like, how can music be powerful even if I'm not yet telling my own story? That is super powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as, yeah. Yeah. So when you were doing um, kind of like the music based hospice, were you like going, you know, with going to patients and like playing music? Like, were you like singing it? Like, how how would you facilitate their experience Mm -hmm. with the music? I would usually bring my guitar and then you know, just kind of like use my phone to look up the chords for different old jazz songs and and play them and sing them. Um, and I just, there are so many songs now in my repertoire that that either the patient or like their partner or family member would request that I learned because I was not that good at guitar at the time. Um, so I'd be like, oh, I'll, I'll work on that and like come back next week. Um, but there are so many songs now in my repertoire that I just so strongly associate with specific people and families. Um, and so that honestly was just as much of a gift to me as what I was doing for those patients and families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's amazing. This is really reminding me of, do you, have you by any chance read, um, Crying H part, Michelle's honor. Yes, I this have. is like really yeah. like I just read that recently, and it's just really making me think of like how so much of like you know Japanese breakfast is like you know her kind of processing her grief about her mom. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I I really do think that. I mean, it's 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 like cliche to say you know music is so powerful, but it there is something very special, whether it's music or writing or like therapy or support group or anything like there's something super powerful about saying okay hey I have this weird feeling that feels very unique and small and strange does anyone else Mm -hmm. and then (laughs) other people are like yes me too yeah like that's a pretty magical experience like I wrote my first album about my mom's cancer she was still alive at the time Mm -hmm. and she actually didn't tell anybody that she was sick throughout her entire illness oh wow except for family members and a few friends so most people did not know oh but you knew yes yeah Yeah. like most of her friends and community had no idea and so when I wrote this album about that experience like about her illness and how you know, like she got sick when I was mm, 16 and then died when I was 28, mm-hmm. 27. So, you know, I was like a kid at the beginning yeah. and then an adult at the end. And so this al- the first album that I wrote called Breastfed was about those weird shifting dynamics and balances within the family. But I wasn't allowed to like tell anybody that. Yeah. So mm. I, when I look back on like the promotion for that album and just the things I was writing and saying about it, it's also like vague. Yeah. And after my mom died, I had so many people reach out to me saying like, I didn't know that's what you were writing about, but that's how it resonated for me with my own family illness or my own loss. And it just kind of like underscored for me. Okay. If the story is true, if the story has truth at the heart of it, like it will reach the right people. Yeah. So- mm-hmm. Can you just tell us a little about your mom? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. My mom is half Indian and she really loved, she was like super proud of her Indian heritage. She did um, years and years and years of Indian classical dance. She was like such a gifted dancer. Mm. She did Indian classical dance, like Bharatanatyam. She did folk dance, like Balkan folk dance. She did modern. She did modern like in the moment when it was like not even cool to do modern yet. So that was very <laughs> um, she did ballet. She did. She just loved moving and dancing. And she and my dad um, like really bonded over their love of dancing when they met. Um, none of me and my, my sisters really got into dance, but we definitely are like comfortable movers because of her. Um, I think she was a great singer. She always described her voice as mousy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, did she have the quietest voice in the house? Like, yeah, maybe, but her voice was very beautiful. We did tons of community theater together and we got to do an opera together mm. in, I think 2018, mm-hmm. we were in an opera together, which was really an awesome experience. Um, she was the oldest of 14 kids. She Oof. had t- 10 of her siblings were adopted from Mexico and South America. Um, and she's significantly older. She was significantly older than a bunch of them. So she sort of helped helped raise them. But like her family was absolutely everything mm-hmm. to her. Like wow. till the last year, like every Christmas, all 14 siblings and all of their many spouses and many children, she would be like making candle holders for them or like making pickles so that everybody could get a gift, like every single person. Whereas me, I'm like big family. Everyone knows you're not getting anything from me. Right? <laughs> yeah. And she's like, like, load up the crate, like load up the minivan. We're taking like 50 jars of pickles to Boston to give out to everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then in the later years of her life, like the last few, she got really into pottery. Mm-hmm. She, I had signed up for a pottery class and she was like, do you mind if I also join it? And I was like, no, go ahead. And she made probably like 300 pieces in two years. Wow. Yeah, wow. got really close. Just like incredibly yeah. driven. Yeah. Oh my god, and like a creator wow. in every aspect. Yeah, she was super creative, and and she she did not like glazing stuff at the end. And so when she died, she left behind probably close to like sixty unglazed pieces at the studio, which the teacher so kindly kept. <laughs> and I was able to go back and glaze those last year, mm-hmm. and it was just very special to like hold these things with her fingerprints on them and like finish the art um yeah so she was just super Mm -hmm. super creative and so selfless and generous like i know there are a lot of things that she had hoped to accomplish like she wanted to write a picture book and stuff like that and just her personal wishes were always easily and like cheerfully put aside for other people which I, mm-hmm. I do not resemble her in that way. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's amazing. I think it's like a very, it was difficult for me to understand for a long time. I was like, why don't you like live for yourself? Mm-hmm. But that is not everybody's calling. Mm-hmm. Like some people really do yeah. get their truest joy from like creating joy for other people, which is very amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think um, motivated her decision to hide her illness from many people? Hmm. I mean, I think she worried that it would become, that it would obscure the other parts of her. She she mm. often referred she often like alluded to this fear that she, somebody would say oh how are you and they wouldn't mean like how's your day going they would mean like how is your cancer going like she she thought it would just like obscure, take the center stage in all of her relationships especially I think especially the people that she wasn't super close with that didn't know a ton about her. Like the main fact then that they would know the most notable fact was like, she has cancer and yeah, I think she just didn't want to be overshadowed by it. I guess that was a really tough decision for uh, her decision was really hard for me to grapple with. And honestly, still, Um, but yeah, I think she just really wanted to like keep her, the heart of herself at the center of who she was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you, um, you seem, you seem kind of like you're like at peace with death in terms of like, you know, like, I don't want to say unafraid, but like, it seems like you've accepted it. Do you feel like that, did that come like as a result of your mother's illness or do you, do you i know you said you always had an interest in it but is that like do you feel like as a kid you were like oh yeah i'm gonna die and that's chill yeah i mean yeah to some extent i was definitely like the creepy little kid like making a will in my like composition book mm-hmm. and my parents would be like don't <laughs> do that that's weird <laughs> <laughs> um but i 
Yeah, I think as long as whenever I think about my own death, I'm thinking uh, if as many things can be within my control as possible, I will be happy. And I also know that that definition changes with the circumstances. Mm -hmm. Like my mom wanted to die at home. And so we like ambulanced her back to the house at the end of this long day in the hospital. And everyone was like, what are you doing? But it's also like, if that hadn't been possible, then our priorities just would have changed and been like, okay, she wants to die at the hospital, but with the family there, you know? And if that wasn't, you know, you're, what you have control of changes. Um, and so when I think of my own death, I'm like, as long as I can be in control of the situation, but I know that that will change like through every moment of the experience. Mm-hmm. When when you first found out about it, was it something where like during that whole protracted period, you were like afraid she was going to die at any moment? Or was it much more of a like you knew it was like, you know, sort of farther in the future at the very beginning? Like when did it sort of like hit as a actual real reality, um, a real possibility? Yeah, I would say kind of two different moments it happened. The first, like when we first found out, it was honestly a very kind of low grade cancer. Like they, I think they might have even called it like precancerous cells at the time. Um, but when we first found out, I was 16. My sisters were 14 and 10. So immediately I was like, I, I knew I needed a plan if she died mm -hmm. and I made the plan and I like did, I like did tons of research on my little school computer. And I was like, here's like how we'll get to like, here's when I could get my license. Here's how I could just drive my sisters to school here. are Like the things that I need to learn how to cook. Like I, I was keeping track of like when my sisters went to get their physicals and like noting like what vehicle is like, like what bills are there to pay and stuff like that, like noticing all of that stuff. Um, but then as I like got older and my sisters got older and my mom's condition actually improved pretty significantly for a little while, um, I started, oops, I started thinking, you know, okay, we're like maybe out of the woods. And honestly, her actual like death sort of like sequence that I think of happened so, so suddenly. She died on Mother's Day mm -hmm. and I had plans to see her on Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. Like it was that sudden. Wow. And yeah. So, yeah. And I, I still am like, really? Could that, how could that be? Like, I'll think back all the time, like, really, really? And then I think, like, I had the flowers in the fridge. I had the stuff to bring over. Like, yeah, we, I mean, she was going to be on the couch, but we were going to, like, have Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. So that felt very, very abrupt and very different from that initial experience I'd had 12 years earlier, where I was like, okay, how do I raise my sisters? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So did you feel like because it was so abrupt that that like robbed you of some sense of like, I don't know if people really ever get quote unquote like closure around anything, but like, did you get any um, feelings of like, I like, I wish it hadn't been so abrupt because like it didn't give you the sort of like space that you needed to grieve? I think so. There's one huge question that I really keep coming back to, which is that I would for years throughout this whole experience, I would directly ask my mom, like, are you going to die from this? Mm -hmm. And she would say, you know, I don't think so. And what I did not know at the time of her death was like, the answer was just yes. Cause it was metastatic to a right. point where that was that. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure if she wasn't answering me honestly because she was shielding me or if she was answering me in the way that she believed and hoped. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, that that's like a huge, huge question that I just keep coming back to in the worst moments. Like, did she know? Did she know? Did she like keep this from me? is she allowed to keep that from me? Is that okay? Or 
Well, in your um, ideal world, what would happen? Like, would you want to have everything be upfront? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because not being there, there was, I mean, it's so like chilly to say, but there was like zero administrative preparation at all. Mm. Like we could not, we yeah. still don't know where so much important stuff is. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, even if we could have had like a 15 minute conversation of just like, boom, 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 let's like put like 50 things down on a list. Like it, it's, it sucks so bad to have somebody die. And it is extra terrible when there are just a bunch of shitty things happening that like didn't need to happen in addition, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Isabel and I um, recorded a podcast that never got aired because of technical difficulties, but about like the importance of like estate planning, even, you know, when you like, even when you don't think you're going to die soon, because like, this is, you know, it seems like you had a similar experience to what happened when my grandparents died, where it's just Mm -hmm. fucking chaos, you know, like, like if, if there are easy steps that can be taken when you're alive to ensure that like your family does not have to like fight over shit or like figure out where stuff is or like access money that was previously locked away or whatever it might be. And like that kind of stuff. I don't know how, I don't know if you felt that it had an impact on your family, but it definitely had an impact on my family. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we had a, she had a storage unit of some things that were really, really precious to me and the payment lapsed and we lost everything in it. Oh my gosh. Wow. And I'm like, what an unnecessary thing to have happen. Right. You know, like literally I could have been like, Hey, like if you can't pay your storage unit, like who needs to be paid or like something so simple. Right. But that kind of conversation just didn't feel on the table because I was like, are you going to die from this? And it's like, no, 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 no. So her mentality about it, you think was pretty avoidant. Like she wasn't like trying to have those types of conversations or was it just no one thought to do it? I'm honestly, well, I definitely thought to do it. Mm-hmm. I have honestly, I, I've been thinking about this every <laughs> single day for 12 years being like, yeah. where's this? Where's that? What bank is this? How much is that? Like forever. Right. To the point where it's almost like a running joke in my family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, Kimaya wants to know like what, where your bank account is. Um, so I don't, yeah, I, I, I really cannot name really what it was on her part. I can't really tell if it was avoidant and if it was avoidant for her sake or for my sake or if it was just like genuine like optimistic thinking or something I really I I really do feel like I'm going to be asking that question for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. yeah another another like unfortunate side effect of when people die you're just like these are answers that I will just like never yeah it's wild. I've been doing like a lot of writing about my mom and I when I when I went to glaze her pottery, I like had a little conversation with her in the car where I was able to be like, "Oh, they made a pottery uh, like a glaze and named it after you and it's like the color you wanted." And like we were just like chit-chatting in the car and I was like, "I can like sort of keep her alive for a second by talking about certain stuff." Uh, like that I know about like when I see some like weird annoying person in town that we would be like oh she's so annoying (laughs) (laughs) um but what's challenging to me is like imagining conversations with her where she might say something that I don't want her to say and I can feel the discomfort like I've been trying to basically write out like play scripts these Mm -hmm. conversations Mm. and I can feel some tension when I start writing like what I'd rather hear like when I move away from her true voice but I also really struggle to surprise myself the way that she could surprise me when I try to write in her voice Mm -hmm. so for Mm -hmm. like a question like this like why you know why didn't you face this in the way that I thought she should like 
I just, I've like gone through so many iterations of possible answers to that question. And I still don't feel like I've gotten the right thing. And it might be like a combination or in between a bunch of truths, but I do just anticipate like trying to write different versions of it, trying to like get her to speak to me through the page forever, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Was was her like approach to her own like mortality one of what like what was the tenor of the way she thought about it? I really don't know. I mean, she always spoke about like living for a super long time. Mm-hmm. She never had grandparents. But Mm -hmm. my grandparents, all of my grandparents are still alive and they are all over 95 years old. And two of them until like this year were working full time. Wow. So like I come from like hardcore people. Yeah. (laughs) And so she was like, yeah, I'm going to be super old. It's going to be great. And that was like a lot of what we talked about was just like the future, being an old lady, like walking around when we're both old, like all of that stuff. Um, but there was never much conversation about like, then when I'm gone, dot, dot, dot type of thing. There's hardly any of that. So I just, yeah, I really don't know how she thought about her own mortality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What an interesting juxtaposition. Cause you like, because of the right. way that you feel personally about like, you know, your, your view on death and grief, as opposed to like the general environment that you grew up in. Yeah, yeah. And I, in some ways, because like I already was interested in death and grief before she even got sick, like in some ways, and maybe oldest children often feel this way, but I feel like in a lot of ways, I was like born to to challenge some of her closest held beliefs. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. they were pla- the places when, where we did, because we we're, were such similar people in so many ways, but the places where we were very different were so unexpected and so like core to who we are. Mm-hmm. I was like, how? How can we be like so alike and so different in these ways? Um, and I'm like, somebody, if there's a higher power, they were doing like a little joke on us being like, ha, 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 he's going to be obsessed about with death and the other one. <laughs> is not going to be able to talk about it, but it's going to die first. And I'm like, what a, what a chaotic situation. Mm-hmm. Was your mom like, do you have a dad who's like also part of the whole? So, so what mm-hmm. was the way that he handled it? Um, well, he's a doctor. Oh, so okay. he was like super, super, super involved in the medical side of things the whole time. Like, he is not like a cancer specialist, but he could definitely comprehend a lot of like test results and stuff like that better than the average person and could also like look into treatment options and stuff at a level that we couldn't really. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was very, very involved in that. But just as far as like the like end of life and things like that, it, it really, I didn't get the sense necessarily that it had been like maybe talked about at all wow even after 12 years yeah because i would imagine it sounds like if your dad is a doctor he's probably dealt with people dying right Mm-hmm. yeah i yeah the big mystery of the whole situation <laughs> for me is, is largely like how did this like pop out of nowhere at the end after really 12 years of very powerful foreshadowing mm-hmm. like yeah and, <laughs> like i hate to be like at the end like i i knew this was gonna happen everyone should have listened to me and prepared like i said but yeah easier said like, than done for sure like right, right. <laughs> i don't feel like good about being right in the end sure. i'm like i would rather be wrong and everyone be like oh kimaya is always like over preparing for bad scenarios you know i'd prefer yeah. to be like oh yeah you know just in case i mean how was your um like how did your relationships like either with your siblings like or like maybe your partner like how how were those all affected throughout this you know protracted um you know situation yeah 
Well, I would say like my middle sister and I have maybe a more similar, we were definitely like treated, like approached differently by our parents, which was totally, totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. My youngest sister had the most like alone time with our mom Mm -hmm. because we were out of the house first and, and she was the one who actually did a lot of care for her, um, in her last years. Um, I would say one thing that was super challenging after my mom died is that I lost a really big chunk of my memory, Mm. Um, like probably six months after, like I lost some short-term memory, which is like pretty common in the acute days, but probably six months after she died, I could not really remember the prior six months at all. Wow. Like I just, there were like people I could not recognize in photos. I would like go through my own Facebook photos and be like, I do not know what is happening in that photo. Like I don't get it. And I could like sort of recognize people, but I was just missing so much of my memory. And that made me feel very disconnected from my family. Um, And also have a really hard time like going out and about and like meeting new people and stuff because I was like, who am I? Mm-hmm. Like, um, so that was definitely super isolating. But once that started coming back, which was in September of this year, um, like I just felt a lot more able to like reach out to my sisters and be like, send me some photos and videos of our mom that you have. Or like, I miss her, like just being able to talk to them about her because previously I'd talk to them and they'd be like, oh, remember this? And I'd be like, wow, I don't even get that because no, I don't remember it. It just felt like more and more and more isolating. Like I don't have her and I don't have any memories. Um, And so once the memory started coming back, I felt just a lot more open to talking to my sisters about her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So did you have, I mean, you mentioned you have like a partner. Was that also difficult for for them to be able to deal with, especially with respect to like your, these like memory loss issues that you were having? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, I think that was, it was probably difficult for him. I'm, I mean, I'm sure it was. For a lot of the memory stuff, it was like before we really knew each other. So he would just be like, I cannot help you. Yeah. And I'd be like, I don't, did I even exist before today? Like, this is the worst. And it was like, I don't remember what it's called. Somebody gave it a little name. It wasn't like a total amnesia thing, but it was just like big, big chunks of context missing from a lot of stuff. Um, and I would say like the fact that he also didn't know the memories that I was upset about missing was really, really helpful for me because he was just able to like be present with me and be like, this is the moment that we are in. Like, what can we do in this moment? As opposed to like, let me explain to you what you've forgotten. Yeah. Um, Yeah. He was like such a massive support. And I, I actually noticed like sadly, and I, I, in the moment there wasn't really much I could do about it. And I guess there's not really now, but in the moment I was just so like catatonic, but I, he has been part of my family for nine years now. So he knew my mom for seven years, seven and a half years. And like nobody reached out to him after my mom died. Hmm. Yeah. It was all like, I got so many cards that were like only to me Mm -hmm. and people were texting me all the time. And People were like sending me things in the mail. Like people were so, so, so incredibly good to me. Mm-hmm. And I just was thinking of Jacob who like was completely supporting me and grieving his own major loss of my mom mm-hmm. and like getting nothing. And I couldn't even support him at the time really besides just sort of like propping him up. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah, so I was like, I I think about that more and more as I like am able to have a more and more just like functional daily life. And I'm like, that's like very astounding that people just straight up did not think of him at all. Right. And really sad. And it also makes me see like other people's losses differently. I'm like, let me reach out to the whole family unit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like so interesting how as a society we don't, we have such a narrow view of like, 
who is affected by by any of these types of yeah. things, you know, by people dying, by breakups, like by any of these things that like, you know, cause people to grieve, right? Is that there's so many second and third hand and fourth hand, like, you know, waves of people. Like when I, I hear of people, you know, who I don't even know particularly well, but who are good friends of my friends, I feel very mm-hmm. strongly affected by that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, I was just in, I mean, I was just in um, my hometown in North Carolina for three weeks caring for my brother who was hospitalized and like, just like navigating. My fiance was with me for most of the time. And like, yeah, like even like navigating the systems, you know, she just like opted to like lie and say that she was, or that he, my brother was her brother-in-law mm-hmm. already because it's just like, you know, like to get like more sympathy from her job and like to get more flexibility. It's like, you know, like, but she was so severely impacted by everything just as much as me because of like, obviously she was like, you know, caring for me as I was doing this stuff, but you know, she had a relationship Mm -hmm. with these people. Yeah. And it's like, if you like, does getting married suddenly make her like care about your family way more? Like, no, no. It's just so wild to be like, oh, well, she wasn't your mom. So, like, you're probably fine. Right. And I'm, well, yeah. That is like an unhinged thing to say. So, (laughs) yeah. Well, that I do think that it's like, you know, having these conversations will hopefully normalize people thinking about that more because I do think we're moving as a society g- generally, like younger and younger generations of people are moving towards, you know, just recognizing the importance of even just things like platonic friendships of any, any of your relationships that you have and trying to legitimize them in ways that it doesn't feel like they've been legitimized in society thus far. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I've had a couple of friends recently who've had like friend breakups and they're like doing the whole like internet, like heartbreak thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like all of the sad <laughs> reposts and like blah, 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 like tweets <laughs> and stuff, just like anyone would do for like a romantic breakup. And I'm like here for right. it. I'm like, well, you know, sorry about your friend breakup, but like I just, it is like losses and endings of things are as devastating as you feel they are. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if somebody else is like, that's not a level that I believe is legitimate or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. 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 It's like, (laughs) you know, like, what are people going to do? Be like, oh, well, like, you're, that's not a very, like, you're just whining because they're, they're not your actual mom or whatever. You're just like, no, like, <laughs> people grieve all kinds of things all the time. And it's not this cut and dry thing that you're going to be able to anticipate, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, what really underscored that to me is, like, so six months to the day after my mom died, a, a mentor and friend of mine died. Um, and he had never been married or had children, but he was like part of this. He founded this music organization that has taught like thousands of people music around the world. And his family is very much like a chosen family over decades. And it was very beautiful to see how that whole music community legitimized all of those relationships. They were like, this is the long-term partner. This is the previous long-term partner who is also still an important person in his life mm-hmm. and her children and her new partner. Like this, the, the unit was so large and people were so like respectful of and protective of that unit to, to some extent. I mean, there's always people who are just going to never be chill but for the most part he wasn't married so there doesn't get to be a primary other person you know people just really were like this was the family that he had in the shape that he created it and that's that and that was very very special to be part of his um memorial celebrations because you know like my own experience in the weeks after my mom died can never be redone but i'm always 
looking for ways that I can do a better job for people in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, so there are things I wish I could have gotten from other people or things I wish people had said or done. And it's like, okay, but maybe I'll be able to do that for somebody else mm-hmm. next time. Yeah. Yeah. And that is really all yeah. you can hope for. Mm-hmm. Even though there are definitely some people I want to like reach out to retro, like in hindsight and be like, <laughs> and be like, yeah. what was going yeah, on with you? Not, well, I have a list of grievances and yeah, you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that that is something that we're still very much um, working through sort of as a society is trying to figure out how to respond to other people's grief because it is such a personal thing. And I think people are often so worried about saying the wrong thing or, you know, are very sensitive to like the ways like uh, in which you like know they know that they don't necessarily know like the ways that you want to be held or supported right Mm -hmm. and so i'm curious what your thoughts are around like for you like what did what did you feel like was the most like what did you need in those in those you know days and weeks and months after your mother died yeah um well, there were a couple of things that were super, super helpful to me. And one of them, like the first one is becoming, I think, sort of more like widely known as a support technique, which is basically to reach out to someone. And instead of just being like, if you need anything or let me know if you need anything to be like, here are three things that I can do. Yeah. Which one would you like? Because it's so much better. Like, I feel so, I hate doing laundry and laundry was like a nightmare after my mom died. And I felt really weird about like asking someone to come over and help me with chores. But plenty of people would have been willing to do that. But not all of the like, if you need anything, let me know people. Mm -hmm. So then I did have a friend who actually sent me a text and was like, do you need any house stuff done? Mm -hmm. Like I can do dishes, laundry, clean some stuff. And I was like, yes. Right. And it was really great not to have to think about like, which friend could I ask to help me with this? Who might actually just know? Like, so having the people just say specifically what they could do was really great. And it also helped me feel like I wasn't, you know, like asking too much of anyone because I trusted that people were only offering things that they genuinely had, like the bandwidth or ability for. Um, So that was one really great thing that people did um I also I love when people ask me about my mom Mm -hmm. um but I also just know that my experience is really so personal like whenever I meet someone I kind of like compulsively have to tell them like my mom died Mm -hmm. and like that is subsiding a little bit because it's definitely a bit of a a manic way to meet somebody (laughs) Um, not like the cool calm and collected vibes I strive to you know put out into the world but that's where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. But I also know other people who are like, like I had a friend who was like, I went on a first date with a guy and he asked me about my parents and I just kept avoiding the question. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I can't understand that. I can't relate. So right. I do know. Yeah, I know that not everybody would want what I want, but just ultimately across the board, whenever I've been in any difficult situation, people giving you options is so great. And even if the options are like, would you like to tell me about your mom or not? That's also awesome because then I can tell a story or I can just be like, no, not right now, but thanks for asking. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think people always feel like yeah. asking if they can do stuff is a little awkward mm-hmm. or like asking what you want from them is a little awkward, but I really do think it is the only way to like communicate well yeah it's like asking for consent for literally anything you know like i do have friends who you know will will ask for consent just like give you a hug for for like anything and i'm like i i think at the beginning like it was kind of an awkward thing but i just think it's becoming so normalized now that it's just like yes you know right just being yeah communicative about like what you can offer your needs yeah i just want to i would love to echo that because I feel like my friends, I had so many like, just like godsend angels 
in the last three weeks that were like, you know, like our roommates came down to, to North Carolina and were like, we're just going to be here for three days and we're going to like make dinner and like handle all of the stuff that like, you know, like all you need to focus on is just going to the hospital and coming back. And, and like, you know, some of Anna's family and as my fiance, like, you know, we didn't have to pay for any Airbnbs while we were in down in North Carolina. Like they was just like taking things off of someone's Mm -hmm. plate and like, and like, and yeah, and not like sort of like the, and it, just like you were saying, Kamaya, I had so many people that were like, let me know if you need anything. And I'm like, bruv, I have no yeah. to tell you what I like. So one, like deal with like whatever, like social, like anxiety and, or like, you know, go through like the social hoops of like figuring what I, what, out what I need and figuring out if that's something that I want to ask you to do for me, you know, like, yeah it's just yeah it's too much just be like just like just offer stuff if you if you know you can make them dinner do that if you know that like hey you're gonna be in my town and like if you need a place to stay like do you want to stay at my house tonight like it is what it is how's your brother doing or like if it's cash um so my uh yeah my brother is doing a lot better he was it was i mean it was wild i'm still i mean it's certainly altered me in ways that i i'm yet to process but he like almost died the day after christmas um in a way that was i mean it's not you know like so very aggressively avoidable Mm -hmm. and so you know there's some anger towards some people that like i'm you know still trying to process through but I mean, yeah, I was down there for three weeks. He's doing okay. a lot better, though. He's not no longer in. He's much. He's like stable. No longer in danger of dying. Um, and his road to recovery will mm-hmm. be long. I'm glad he's doing but better. it That's is there. Like always, always what you want to hear. Yeah, and without, I mean, and without, like, you know, certainly I, could, you know, could have done it without the support that I got from people, but it would have been so so much harder. Like you know my in like the the week coming out of it like the the outpouring of support that i got from people which was like very moving and also like made my life so Mm -hmm. so much easier oh yeah it's amazing when people like reach out in like an active way there's nothing like it Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, yeah i was like just remove remove the barrier for the person that is that is in the grief or like in the shit just like be like yo this is what i can do and they can say yes or no yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally it's simple it's simple people are so scared but it's super basic <laughs> yeah so what is your relationship with your grief now mm. i feel like now my grief is enabling a lot of like creative generation um basically like over the last year of you know so much therapy so much crying so much misery i have like i have found that the best way that i can interact with my grief because i really do feel it and see it as like a different entity that like comes to me and leaves me or is in front of me or behind me or beside me like it has sort of like a physical form in my mind the best way that i can interact with it is creatively and like specifically like writing and I'm, I'm like putting out a new album soon and that is very much about grief but i feel like the way that i can really connect with the grief and like hold it and look at it is through writing um so i would say yeah i'm just like starting to kind of see the shape of it and like get to know it more instead of just um instead of just like take it basically yeah like i can sense it approaching kind of i can sense it lightening i can sense it like dragging me down or just like floating along with me like it really does have such like a physical i haven't even said this out loud before so i'm realizing now it really has like a physical form it's like a little ghost with me basically all the time in different ways yeah yeah so i'm just like and like i've definitely like struggled with 
my mental health a lot in the past. And just like with depression, like grief and depression are, are so markedly different. They interact, but they are very different for me at least. And I just find like the more I know about how each thing works, the more I know about how many like permutations and shapes it can have, the more the more resilience I have when it comes back because it will just come back at any moment for any reason. And the, as long, like if I can recognize it and say, okay, I know this feeling, here's what I've done. That is, that gives me just a lot of hope for the experience of living with this forever because it won't leave. It will just change shape and continue to do that whack thing where it gets wicked heavy abruptly. And, <laughs> um, but at least I like, that is, that is crazy yeah, it's whack. super whack. <laughs> but at least like I have some idea of what I'm dealing with in a way that I didn't a year ago. Kamaya, thank you so much. This has been an amazing, amazing Thank you for talk. Having me. And, and like, yeah, topical to me in a way that I didn't expect it to be too. So it's been cathartic for me. Um, my ending question, which has nothing to do with anything is, um, yeah, what's something you're really excited to do like coming up soon or in this new year? Like what's like, what's, I am so excited, excited to put out my new album. It's coming out in March on the 9th and I have, I've not worked harder on anything in my entire life. So <laughs> I'm very, very excited to finally share it with people. I keep being like, should I leak it? And I'm like, no, <laughs> but I really, really, really just want people to, to hear yeah. the songs as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, that slides perfectly into, into your promo. Um, tell the people where they can oh, find everywhere it. everywhere on the internet. I think I'm the only Kimaya Diggs in the planet Earth. Um, so I'm just Kimaya Diggs everywhere on the internet. KimayaDiggs.com, Kimaya Diggs on all the different platforms. I'm the only one. Cool. We will stick all of that in the show notes. <laughs> so to make it even easier. Um, and as always, you can find us at I'm the villain pod. That's our Instagram, our Gmail, our Twitter. Otherwise, bye. <laughs>